South Wales Baptists and to Victorian Baptists and that will be distributed through the churches in the local areas that have been affected by bushfires. The web address is there and the way to give is there. And also out in the foyer there is a prayer that has been put together by Australian Baptist Union, I think, Australian Baptist Churches, that just tries to encompass this scene and help you pray through it. So if sometimes you're lost for words, grab something like Rose had and grab that one from uh, Australian Baptists. I think that's it. There was a man, we'll call him James, who came to me one day and, and this is what he said to me. Anne and I have been married for 15 years. We have three lovely kids, a nice house, two cars, a caravan and a dog and all those things you'd expect everyone to have and that we're supposed to have in this country. We don't argue. In fact, we work very well together. But we don't know that we love each other anymore. At least we don't to the extent that we once did. We don't know what happened. I know I've been really involved in building up my business and with three kids it's not hard to figure out what Anne has been doing. But now we are concerned as to where our marriage is going. Neither of us wants out, but we are afraid that if we don't do something to change what is happening, who knows where it will go. One of the sad facts about life is that something that starts out with such tremendous love and joy and celebration and so much anticipation of a future can all too often go stale. Sometimes it erupts into conflict and violence or explodes into divorce but all too often it just settles down to an exterior that looks fine, looks appropriate but inside Things have gone sour. And you know what? Our relationship with God as a church and as individuals is compared to a marriage relationship in the Bible. And so it can happen and under the pressure of life, the passion and anticipation that once dominated our relationship with God can become routine. The sense of joy and anticipation can move into something that we take for granted. The trouble is that the distractions and the difficulties of daily life have a way of causing the growth in that relationship with Father God to stall and we can end up living in a rut. And one of the realities is that we often don't see it. Often we're the last people to sense that something is wrong in our relationship with God until we get a wake-up call. I love it that Jesus knows our capacity for self-deception. It's one of the reasons he addresses from heaven seven churches in the geographical location of Asia Minor or modern Turkey. But it's not just addressed to historical churches. This is not a history lesson this morning. Those churches are representative of the church of today. And as we investigate those churches, and we're going to look at Ephesus this week and Laodicea next week, we do not find ourselves looking into history. But if we're alert, we'll see ourselves looking into a mirror. 
So my question at the outset this morning is, is are we open individually and as a church to look into a mirror this morning as we hear this message to the church at Ephesus? As the Spirit says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Got your antenna tuned into the Spirit this morning? Because that's where they've got to be tuned. Ephesus was the most important seaport of Asia Minor, of modern Turkey. The major trade routes of the time passed through this um, provincial city, making it a centre for commerce. It was also a great religious centre. The city's greatest pride was the massive temple built for the divine goddess Diana or Artemis. And the religious practices based on the temple and the revenue generated by tourists and devotees dominated much of the city's day-to-day life. It was the centre of day-to-day life. The imperial cult of Rome with its emperor worship was well and truly alive in Ephesus. And the church was most likely founded by Paul along with Priscilla and Aquila. And the Apostle Paul stayed longer in Ephesus than any other city. And from Acts 20, where Paul farewells the church and the elders there, we see that Paul had a very close relationship with this church. It was what we would probably call a successful church today. The kind of church we might possibly want to join if we were looking for a church. It was the mother church of the region, impacting the city of Ephesus and having an influence around the region of Asia Minor. And Jesus, who is Lord of the church, that church as well, and who is constantly present with her, bridegroom to a bride, speaks to the church at Ephesus. And he speaks to us today. And he commends this church. He gives it a big pat on the back. boy, you done real well. He loves this church and he values this church. And he says, I know your deeds. I know your hard work, your perseverance in what you're doing. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you've tested these who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. So they're weeding out falseness from inside the life of the church. The church at Ephesus is really committed to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's it's a moral truth. It's a theological truth. And you've tested those. And those who haven't measured up, you've let them know. You've persevered and have endured hardships for my name and not grown weary. And he goes on, you have this in your favour. You hate the practice of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Now, the Nicolaitans were probably Christians who'd come out of pagan cults but kept a lot of their pagan practices alongside their Christian faith and said, that's okay. And the church at Ephesus said, no, that's not okay. That's not honouring to Jesus. Sounds like a bunch of hard-working people building a good church with courage in the face of hardships. A church that had not grown weary as it contended for the gospel in a very, very difficult city. We would say, here's a good church. But Jesus looks at them and says this, Yet this I hold against you, just one little thing. You have forsaken 
your first love. You've abandoned your first love. You've walked away from your first love. And it can be translated, you have divorced your first love. It's addressed to those individuals in the church and to the church as a whole. Jesus holds up this mirror. What's the first love? We know what it is. It's the devotion to Jesus. And it so often characterizes a new believer. You can tell a new believer when they come along, can't you? They're excited. Their faces are like they want to tell you everything that's going on in their life. They're excited. They're uninhibited. They openly display. They'll talk with anybody about this newfound faith, particularly if they've come out of real darkness and into light. They're just exuberant. It's the honeymoon love of a husband and wife. While it's true that mature married love deepens and grows richer, it's also true that it should never lose the excitement and wonder of those honeymoon days. When a husband and wife begin to take each other for granted and life becomes routine, then the marriage is in a danger. So the church at Ephesus, Jesus says you've got all these programs. You've got good things happening around you. You're orthodox when it comes to the gospel. You're standing on the truth of God's word. But where is your love? Love for me and love for others. Where is it? Where is your heart, soul, mind and strength? Where is your passion for me? I'm someone who loves trying to imagine. And I, I taught, I've taught myself this over the years. And I, I wonder, did Jesus say this with a tone of anger? Kind of the finger out? Or did he have this incredible feeling of sadness that such a church that was doing so many good things had lost their first love for him? Church is probably going, surely, Me? Not us. We wouldn't do that, God. That, that's not just possible. How? How? He doesn't say. We've tasted your love. We wouldn't abandon it, divorce ourselves from it. No, no, no. You have walked away from your first love, says Jesus. Could it just be possible that you and I are going through the motions with all our works of service, the programs, our orthodoxy, our worship services, etc., but no real passion for God in what we're doing. We're in a rut. Paul writing to the church at Corinth, another strong church um, across the waters, these are words that are really familiar, 1 Corinthians 13. But listen to what he says to that church. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. 
Israel as a nation, the bridegroom of God, had turned its back on God and God was speaking to them through the prophet Isaiah and said this in Isaiah 29:13. These people come near to me with their mouth and honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is made up of rules taught by men. And it's interesting, Jesus takes those words and speaks them to the Pharisees of his day, the religious people of his day, says, your hearts are far from, oh, you're doing everything, it looks good, outside, but inside your hearts are far from me. Many people say that the opposite of love is hate. I don't think it is, because there's incredible passion in both love and hate. I think the opposite of love is apathy, is indifference, is getting in a rut, taking God for granted. Just like in some marriages, it is possible that our love and passion for God and others slowly degenerates into a cold, apathetic and loveless thing, a kind of taking God for granted thing. And it's not something we set out to do. It just happens. And before you know it, we are in a deeply rutted and passionless routine. Jesus says to them, you're wearing your perseverance in your good works. You're saying, look at us, look at our good works. And they were great. You're wearing that as a badge of honor. But you've walked away from your first love. You've allowed truth to displace passion and love. All the I's and T's of your doctrine are dotted and crossed. Your theology is as clear as ice, but twice as cold. You're passionless. wonder if you can hear Jesus, the bridegroom, asking this question that he asked Peter centuries ago. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Maybe that is a bit of a mirror for you this morning. Well, then I want to tell you this is a great grace moment. This is a great grace moment. You see, it's like that because our God is a jealous God. And he's inviting us back to love he hates it when other things compete for his devotion for us he hates it he wants to recapture our hearts he wants to heal us of our heart disease he wants us to know the intimacy of his love and all that flows from that in love for each other and our neighbor he is so jealous for us that he wants our whole purpose and security and significance to be derived from him not from our hard work not from our perseverance these are meant to be an overflow from our experience that flows from our knowing Christ and from our relationship with the Father. And I call this a gut-wrenching invitation to love. I think Jesus is gutted when he has to say this to his church. You've walked away from your first love. And so here comes his gut-wrenching solution. Remember the height from which you've fallen... So called a Lucifer height in the message, and I actually love that. It's a huge fall. Repent and do the things 
you did it first. Repent and do the things you did at first. Brennan Manning is an author I love, a Jesuit Catholic priest. And he's written a book called The Furious Longing of God. And I actually think this call to remember, repent and repeat is God's... Furious doesn't mean angry. It means this really stirred up longing that God has for us. But I want to say right at the outset, if, if the mirror is showing you something and you're hearing these words, there's a spiritual battle because the enemy, Satan, does not want us to return to our first love. He does not even want us to see that we have a problem in abandoning the Father's love. Satan knows that if we get captured again by this holy love, we will be used to turn the world upside down. And he's going to lose many of his followers and he's going to fight. Remember, remember the height from which you've fallen. I remember well when I first fell in love with Sharon. They were pretty heady days. We were just little cheeky babes. Wonderful days of discovery and exploring the love that we had between us. They were full of passion as we grew deeper in that love. I began planning my life and my future around Sharon. My life included her front and centre. She was my priority. Didn't really matter what else happened as long as Sharon was there. And when I was apart from Sharon, I was thinking about her, wanting to be with her, you know, being in each other's embrace, so to speak. Come on, guys and gals, can't you remember? Those who are married... Can't you remember? Can't you remember? Do you remember your first days with Jesus? We remember our first love, not for the sake of nostalgia. Oh, wasn't that wonderful, Sharon Lovey? It's not for the sake of having good memories. I just haven't got a good memory book. But we remember with an honest admission of that's where I used to be with God before I got in this passionless rut. It's kind of like you go back to the benchmark and we say, I've fallen. A couple were driving home on their 25th wedding anniversary after they'd had a celebration at a fine restaurant. And the wife was sitting over against the door on the passenger side. And her husband was there driving behind the wheel and she began to lament. Oh, honey, remember when we were so close? I mean, I remember when we first got married. We sat so close that you could hardly change the gears. And look at us now. And the husband just keeps looking down the road driving. Well, I haven't moved. It's the same in our relationship with God. That's why he calls us to remember our first love. So that we can shift across and make the gears hard to change. Oh, no, no. We remember so that we can honestly admit our present condition. I have fallen. I think these are wonderful grace words. Our Father so wants us to stay wrapped up in his love that he says, remember what it was like? Well, come on. 
Remember, repent. Someone said this, lovelessness, lovelessness is not just a sad thing, it is a sinful thing. Now I'm still thinking about that. I read that several years ago and I'm still thinking about that. But what it does say to us is that lovelessness in a relationship is a very serious thing. I don't feel and act how I used to. I'm busy with persevering. Repent. Repent. Turn around, says Jesus. Turn back. The God who has not and never will abandon us is inviting us to turn our hearts back toward him. It's a decision we each make personally, confessing our apathy and our lovelessness. This is the energy we need to get out of the routine rut of indifference. God wants us back. He wants his bride back, collectively and individually, to love him again. He doesn't want a perfunctory peck on the cheek. He wants us to know the exhilarating wonder of his love again. He desires that we be conduits of this love to each other and into our neighbourhood and workspaces. You see, labouring is no substitute for loving. And perseverance is no substitute for passion. That's what this message is about. Recall. Repent. And repeat. Do the things you first did. When you were alive with Jesus, do those things. And I'd say add a few more that you've learned as you've matured. I hardly do any of those first things because I've learned some other things that really keep me focused in God's love. It doesn't say feel your way into the first glow of passion and love. It says do. Repeat. Repeat the first things you did and the feelings of love will flow. Recover your dear early love, it says in the message. Will, this is the question for this morning as the mirror is held up. Will we orientate our lives or reorientate our lives, our schedules and our energies around Jesus? That's where we finished last week. Seek first the kingdom of God. I think it's a great question. This is a great mirror to hold up at the beginning of a new year where we're often reassessing. Where's the passion? Where's the love for Jesus individually and corporately? It's a call to give our love a time so that we can enjoy him lavishing his love on us, giving us significance. That's one of the reasons why I just love worshipping with God's people. It gives him space. Gives him space in my life, if my eyes are on him, to reignite the passion of love. Him lavishing his love on us, giving us significance. That's what we're after. It's the bride and the bridegroom spending time together, getting to know each other, to enjoy the love that they have. It's firstly about our loving acts of devotion towards Christ then love overflows to others in the church and in the community. Do you have a divine discontent that's arisen within you a little today? Then hear the invitation to return to the furious longing of love that God has for you. This is a moment of grace.
three or four or five weeks ago, I don't know how long, I didn't look it up, I talked about the message of Hosea, love to the loveless. Um, and there the nation of Israel had turned its back, the bridegroom had turned its back, or the bride had turned its back to the, to the bridegroom. And this is God in this passage calling us and saying what he's going to do in Hosea 2, 14 to 16. And I conclude with this this morning. Remember the nation of Israel has got its back to God. And he says this. And now, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start all over again. I'm taking you back out into the wilderness where we had our first date. Remember? Remember? And I'll court her. I'll give her bouquets of roses. I, I find these words absolutely amazing that our God says to a people who may have lost some passion for him. I'm in it. I'm for you. I'm after you. I'm hunting you. We're going back to the beginning. First date. <laughs> it's amazing stuff. I'll turn Heartbreak Valley because that's often happens when we get passionless with God. We get into Heartbreak Valley, into Acres of Hope. She'll respond like she did as a young girl. That's Israel. Those days when she was fresh out of Egypt. And then this. At that time, you'll address me, dear husband. Never again will you address me, my slave master. You see, when we get focused on our works, we start addressing God as sir rather than as father. Dear husband. Let's pause. Let's pray. I just want to let you sit and I don't know what's going on for you. Maybe you've just been encouraged this morning that your passion is still there and you're just ready to burn it out and shine it out in this new year. But perhaps you're wrestling. Gee, have I lost some of my passion for God and what I do for him? Just let it sit. Let the Spirit of God work. It's okay because it's a moment of grace. And maybe this can be your prayer. Lord Jesus... I want to be as passionate a lover of you as you are of me. Amen. Thanks, Rose.